Skillman Church of Christ, good morning. It's good to see all of you today. I'd like to begin by inviting our children uh, to their children's church at this time. And uh, children know that we love you and we're thankful for you. And you're going to have a great time with Shaleen. And we can't wait to hear what you're going to learn in this time. So uh, the age range for this is two years old to second grade. But uh, in talking to Shaleen, she'll take anybody. So (laughs) she doesn't discriminate. But we are so happy that you are here today at the Skillman Church of Christ. If you are a guest today, thank you for coming and joining us on this Sunday here in Dallas. Um, We're so happy that you are here. Uh, We have a lot of people traveling today out of town because of the Thanksgiving holidays. I know my wife and my kids, they're actually in College Station, Texas right now, uh, visiting my parents, their grandparents. My father is also a minister. Uh, he's a minister at the A&M Church of Christ in College Station. And it just so happens that right now he is preaching in College Station. I'm preaching here in Dallas. And my kids were given the choice. Do you want to hear your granddad preach or me? And they chose to go to College Station. <laughs> uh, and so, um, but we're so happy you're here. Uh, we are a group of believers uh, who strive to live by faith. We hope to advocate hope when we can. And we want to be a group that is known by our love. We're followers of Jesus. We're committed to the scriptures. And uh, if you want to know more about who we are, uh, at, the, at the end of service, uh, do you see David Williams back there in the tie, the good-looking guy back there? Uh, behind there, there's that white desk. And Nora, uh, she's right there. She'll be back there to answer any of your questions about how to get involved in the church. We have a ton of ways to serve. We have projects that need to be done. We just need people. And so this is a great opportunity, and we'd love to get to know you more. So that'll be at the end of service at that back table. But the title of today's sermon, In in Spirit with a Thanksgiving Holiday, is This is a Gift. This life is a gift that we have. Life is a gift. And the text that we're going to be drawing from today is in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn there. The text will actually be in James 1, 16 through 19. But we're actually going to start in James chapter 1, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and uh, we have a Bible in front of the pew, in front of you. It's in, if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and take it home with you. You can read it. It's a gift for you. But this particular passage is on James, is on page, oh, I thought I changed that (laughs) in the slides. I thought I changed that in the slides. (laughs) Because, yeah, I think the the later slides will have the actual number, but I have it on here. It's actually, it's page 1,880. (laughs) So it's page 1,880. If you have the Bible in front, okay, there we are. I did, I did do the right thing. All right. So uh, that's what I'm home doing the PowerPoint. I don't have the Bible there, so I say, well, I'm going to get it when I get up here. So uh, we'll begin reading today in James chapter 1, verse 1, to give a little context to the verses that will be kind of the core message of today. James 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered across the nations. So here in this first verse, we figured out who the author is. You know, I don't want to be a spoiler, but the author of James is a guy named 
James. <laughs> James is the one who writes this text. And James, tradition tells us that this, this guy, James, is the half-brother of Jesus. So they, they share the same mother and Mary, but they, they have different fathers because James, his father, is Joseph. But as, as we believe, the father of Jesus is the, the Holy Spirit. So they have different fathers. So that's why they're kind of known as stepbrothers. And so they are here, James is writing, and it's believed that he is writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Most people think that this group of believers he is writing to is the same group of believers that's mentioned at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. The beginning of Acts chapter 8. I'm going to work on my mic here. It's a little bit tight. How's that? Do you hear me better? At the beginning of Acts chapter 8, at the, after the stoning of Stephen, when Stephen, the first martyr, gets stoned, and, you know, Paul is a part of that stoning, that very next verse says that there was a group of believers, because of the persecution, that were scattered all across Judea and Samaria. And so they were in Jerusalem, but because of the persecution, they were scattered about. And so this kind of makes sense when you look at the book of James, because the book of James is written to an audience. Number one, that James knows. He knows these guys from somewhere and somehow. We know that in Acts chapter 15, that James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so we know that he was there. He's familiar with the people that were in Jerusalem. When persecution came, those that were in Jerusalem had to scatter those Christians. And so it also explains why the book of James has a very Jewish undertone to it. It's, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He uses Jewish imagery. He is connecting to the very beginning. And, and so this is, it makes sense when you think this could be the group that was scattered after the stoning of Stephen all across the land. And it also explains the persecution aspect and the trials and tribulations because these particular people, they were cast away from their homes and they're no longer living where they're comfortable or, or, or where they're, they're from. They're having to live almost as exiles in a new, in a new place. So in verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Oh my goodness, so we know what the trials are. These are people who, because of persecution of their faith among the Jewish people, were cast out away from their homes. They are living away from where they know people, where they're comfortable. They are having trials and tribulations. And here James, the verse 2, the second verse of this letter, he opens it up saying, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, I mean, how would you like to hear this? I mean, when you're going through a bad day, when you've had a, a bad meeting or, or a bad experience, do you really want to hear someone tell you, hey, it'll be okay. Consider it joy. Consider it to be something good. No one wants to hear that in times of stress, in times of struggle. But later in this verse, James kind of illustrates why to look, why he would recommend us look at the, the trials and tribulations as a source of joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Man, what's the microphone going on here? Let's try that. Yeah. Is there a different mic on? Someone, uh, <laughs> I don't know. We all want joy, but we all have problems. And James is saying in this text, that when we face these trials, 
When things don't go our way, we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice because we know that these trials are making us stronger. In the words of James, these trials, these problems, when things don't go our way, it's building perseverance. It reminds me of a study that I came across uh, years ago. Uh, I think he was coming from the University of Pennsylvania from a psychologist by the name of Angela Duckworth. And it talks about, this is a particular study where she interviewed a ton of, of high achievers. People who were in their, you know, CEOs of companies. They were high achievers making lots of money. They, they were successful in the eyes of the world. And so what she did is she interviewed each one of them and she wanted to see if there was a common characteristic among all these high achievers, these successful people, and to see if there was just one common factor. Well, after all these interviews, she found that there was one, inter- there was one common characteristic. There was something that they all had. Do you guys know what that was? It wasn't IQ, because sometimes we think that it's IQ. It, it wasn't EQ, emotional intelligence. It wasn't where they went to school. It wasn't where they grew up. It wasn't their socioeconomic background. What they found, what she found in this study, was that the common characteristic of high achievers that they all had was grit. Grit. It was perseverance. It was resilience. What these people had in common was that when the going got tough, they got tougher. When things were difficult, they rose above it and they were able to withstand the winds of change and tribulation, grit, resilience. And in this book, she even writes a book about grit and she talks about how how important it is as parents to instill in the lives of your children perseverance, resilience, and in her word, grit. And it's kind of impacted the book of James and also uh, this book, Grit, it's impacted the way that I parent as well. Because sometimes when things don't go wrong for my kids, when they experience failure, when things didn't, don't happen the way they thought it would, uh, you know, there's a part of me, of course, that's sad about it. But then the other part of me is like, yes, this is teaching them a life lesson. They're going to be stronger because of this. Uh, there's a, not too long ago, when the weather was really nice, and where we live, it's not too far away from where my kids go to school. And so when the weather was really nice, they had the good idea, hey, we're going to ride our bikes to school. And so every morning they would get on their bikes and they would ride together, all four of them, to school. And uh, a, couple, a couple months ago, I, I went out there to say goodbye, and I noticed just how happy they look. Uh, and I have a picture here uh, of them in front of my house. And I believe I took the picture at, uh, let's see, 7.31 a.m., and they're on their way to school right now. And I took a picture because I could just see little Mac's face. You can't see it real well, but he is just beaming with pride in this photo. He's about to ride his bike to school with his older brothers and sister. And he's just, they feel the wind in his face. And he felt so big and so strong. Well, that picture was taken at 731. 11 minutes later, I took a different photo. <clears throat> 11 minutes later, we hear a knock on the door, and sure enough, my boys are bringing Mac back to the house, and he's just weeping and crying, and uh, on the way to school, he had a massive crash. Uh, he crashed, and he, he hurt his, his uh, 
his elbow, and also the next picture is Tara nursing him up. And part of me was, man, I'm so sorry that happened. But the other part of me as a father is like, man, this is building perseverance. In order to learn how to pick yourself up, you have to fall first. You have to experience disappointment to know how to conquer the disappointment and to get on that bike again. And so the next part of the process was getting him back to ride the bike again and to ride to school again to know that, yes, he may fall in life, but it's not going to define him. He can overcome. And these trials and tribulations, they teach us this thing. And just two, three days ago, Tara and I had a funny interaction, too, because we were driving. It was too cold for them to ride their bikes, so we drove them to school this time. And uh, we parked in a spot. We didn't go to the very front where all the cars were, but we parked on the side to where they could just walk on the sidewalk. It's about maybe uh, 600 uh, yards to the school. And so we dropped them off, and as they were walking to school, and little Case has a project, too. He had just made this project. <laughs> he had his project out. And out of nowhere, it starts to pour down rain. Like, out of nowhere. I mean, it just, it just came out of, the, out of the staff of the fingers. And so, like, they're in the middle, and it's almost like they're too far from the car, and they're too far from the school, and so they kind of had a panic. Like, what do I do? And they just start to book it, and they start to run, and little Case is running with his project, you know, trying to get it. And I think the project, uh, it was a little bit ruined after that. But Tara and I looked at each other, and we're influenced by these studies and by James, and we, and we said the same thing to each other. This is good for them. <laughs> it's good for them to experience uh, these things. In order to learn how to stand up, we need to fall. We need these trials. We need these tribulations that allows us to grow in our grit and our perseverance. And with my kids, you know, right now their problems are kind of small. I mean, they're, they're scrapes on the elbow, their projects that got ru ruined in the rain. But if they can learn now to build that perseverance and that grit when they're young, when the problems, when there's not a lot at stake, then that, when they're adults, when the problems are real and they're, they're heavy and there's more at stake, they'll be able to withstand that. But how? The question is, how can we do this? I mean, it's nice for James to say it. Hey, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because it's building perseverance. I mean, that's nice to say, but how do we get to the point where we can view our problems, our struggles, as a means to become better and not bitter? How can we do it? Like, this, it's nice to say, but how can we put this into practice? I mean, raise your hand. At, raise your hand in this room if you've ever experienced disappointment, trial, failure. Anybody in here? I mean, we all have experienced these things in our life. We all have gotten to a point where things haven't happened the way we want. So how can we take that, and how can we shift it into a posture of joy? Well, I think as the verses go on, James calls us to look at the bigger picture, and he focuses our eyes on gratitude. In, in the following verses, James wants to make it clear that we begin, the first step is to know that God is not behind all these trials and tribulations and temptations, that God is not playing a game with us, that we are not chess pieces and God is up there moving us along, that, that this isn't some sort of cosmic game and we're just innocent pieces. He wants to illustrate that that's not the case because in verses 13 through 15, he writes this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So James wants to take us up to the big picture. He wants to let us know, first and foremost, that it is not God that is at the source of all this. That there is evil in this world, yes. There is real evil, and all of us have a capacity for evil things, but that isn't God at the source. And James is saying that in order to build perseverance when trials and tribulations come, that we can't play the victim. That's That's not the beginning. We can't play the victim. We can't blame God for all these trials and and troubles and when things go wrong. Because James is letting us know that if we play that game, if we believe that this is all some game, then that will lead to bitterness. It will lead to bitterness. It will lead to, to something that's not healthy. But instead, in verse 16, James gives us a different vision. In verse 16 of chapter 1, it says, Don't be deceived. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. Don't fly it. Don't, don't follow this path where you think that, 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 that this is all random. There's no meaning to it. That, that God is behind this as a test. Don't be deceived by this. Because in verse 17, James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Oh my goodness. I'm going to read that one more time and let that sink in to you. Every good and perfect gift is from above. If it is good, if it is perfect, then it is from God. God is the source of all things good. Just like the sun is the source of all light. If you see light on all these windows that are coming through, there is one source. It's this big fiery ball in the sky. And all of the light is coming from that one source. Just like light comes from one source, all things good, all things that are loving, all things that are kind, it comes from one source. That's God. If it tastes good, it is because of God. If it is loving, it is because of God. If it makes us a better person, then it is because of God. If it is good and it is perfect, then God is the source of all of this. It all comes from God. And James continues in that verse. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Did you guys know that in all of Scripture, all 66 books, the the tens and thousands of words that's used to talk about God, that in this particular verse, this is the only time that God is referred to as the Father of lights? It's the only time where God is talked about as the Father of lights, and it's an allusion to God being the God of the sun and the moon and the stars, the creator of all of the the things that we see in space. What James is saying is that if we want to be people who aren't bitter, if we want to be people that our trials bring us joy because it's building perseverance, if we want to be grateful people, look up. Look up to the sky. Look up to the stars. Look at the moon. Look at the sun. I mean, don't look at the sun because it will burn your eyes. But, but imagine looking at the sun 
and imagine that the one who created all of it is God, the source of all good. God is the source. You know that scientists, they have said that the universe that we're a part of, the universe, you know how big it is? They say that it is 93 billion light years big, whatever that means, <laughs> you know? I would imagine that what that means is that it takes 93 billion years to travel at the speed of light from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe. 93 billion light years that it, that it takes. And you know what they say, too? That the universe is still expanding. I mean, there are planets, there are galaxies, there are moon, there are stars. And James is saying that God, the God that we sing to, the God that we worship, the God that we can pray to, that God is the creator of all of it. That is absolutely amazing if you think about it. I mean, let's really think about the craziness of what's happening right now. I mean, right now you are sitting in a pew at the Skillman Church of Christ. But if you were to take a bigger, uh, a, you know, a zoom lens out, you're on a planet <laughs> that's in space. <laughs> and this planet is turning around, it's spinning, and it's orbiting around a big, giant ball of gas. I mean, do you realize how ridiculous this is? And if we were a little bit closer to this big ball of gas, we would burn up. But if we were a little bit too far away, we'd be too cold. But we are at the exact amount of space where life can be and an atmosphere can be. I mean, do you realize that this is a miracle? That we are, we are walking on a planet that is spinning through space. I mean, it reminds me of that story that goes back in, in uh, Jewish tradition in the Midrash about these two men who were walking through the Red Sea uh, when Moses had parted the Red Sea. And I have a, a picture of the actual event, a, a photo that was taken. <laughs> um, and uh, so as the story goes, this, these two men were walking through this. And can you imagine walking through this? I mean, there were just walls of water onto the left and to the right. And it, as in this story in the Midrash uh, in Jewish history, it's a story of two men that are walking. And one man looks at the other and says, man, this is so muddy. It's going to take forever to get the mud off my sandals. Do you guys realize this? Have you thought about this? Sometimes, sometimes, we get so caught up in ourselves. We get so caught up in our many dramas. We get so caught up in things that are from here, not past our nose, that we forget to look up. We forget that we are actually walking in a miracle. This is absolutely a miracle that we are a part of. And sometimes in our drama, in our day-to-day -day things, we forget how amazing it is that we have been created and that our Father, the Father of lights, is the one who made all of this and who has done so much. So James continues about this. James continues by reminding people that God is, isn't behind these tough trials, but in fact, God is the one that is holding all of the universe together. And he continues, he says that God does not change like shifting shadows. 
So not only is God, this God that we serve, this God that we're a part of today, that we're honoring today, this God that we want to connect with, not only is this God the Father of lights, the creator of the universe, but at the same time, this God, according to James, is, does not change like shifting shadows. I like how Eugene Peterson puts this particular verse in the message. Here's the message right here. It says, there is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, and nothing fickle. And Hebrews says that God, that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So James is saying, not only is this God the creator of all life, but we can trust this God. This God is not fickle, it's not two-faced, it's not going to throw us a curveball in the last minute. That this God is, is on our side, hoping for the best. And then he reminds us in the next, chat, in the next verse, that the life that we have, the life that our heart is beating is a gift. He says, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. God chose. It was a choice that God made, a choice that God decided to give us life, to create the world, to create us and to knit us in our mother's womb. As in Genesis 2, to take us from the dust of the earth and form us, that it was God's choice and God chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Oh, life, my brothers and sisters, is a gift. It is a gift. And we are considered to be the first fruits of God, which is imagery to the Old Testament that at the very first harvest, they would give the very best to God in return at the altar. And so what James is saying is that we are God's first fruit, that we are loved, that this Father of lights who doesn't change has created us and has given us life and looks at us as the first fruits. James is saying this whole thing is a miracle. This whole thing is a gift. The fact that you are breathing right now the fact that your heart is pumping blood through your body right now, the fact that your lungs are working, the fact that your brain is processing thoughts, that is a miracle and it is a gift only given by God. Isn't that amazing? It is absolutely amazing. And you know, it's this time of year, Thanksgiving, when we talk about being grateful. The whole country, you know, we gather together and it's this time of year where we focus our minds, on shift, shifting our minds into a posture of gratitude. And you know, of all, of all of the holidays, all of them, this is my favorite, Thanksgiving. Anybody with me on that? Anybody with me on that? Thanksgiving is my favorite because it's, it's almost as good as Christmas, but Christmas has the drama with the gifts, right? But, but this right here, Thanksgiving, you had the three F's that are together, that form an amazing chemistry. You have family, and you have food, and you have football. <laughs> All together, the, the holy trinity of Thanksgiving. <laughs> it creates this amazing time for us to pause. May we enter this season of gratitude, and may we allow the gratitude that we feel to ultimately lead us to our Father of lights 
to our God, who is the author and perfecter of faith, who is who everything good comes from. Because it says here, every good and perfect gift comes from above. So this holiday season, when you taste something that is really good, may it point your mind to God. When you smell a pleasant aroma, may that smell trigger you thinking about how awesome God is. When you see the love that only families can have, the connection of family, when you see that beautiful thing, may that point you to God, the Father of lights, the creator of all this. Because you know what? Gratitude is a choice. We have to choose to be grateful. It's a posture. It's an intentional act. And so may we view these things during this season, may it ultimately point to the creator of all good things, because it's a discipline. It's an intentional posture. Gratitude is about looking at the good in our life and pointing it towards God. And we can't not gloss over the fact that holidays are also a difficult time for people. This can be a hard time. This can be a difficult time to be grateful. I mean, during the holiday season, it can be a reminder of the absence of loved ones. It can be a very busy time where you kind of have the stress. You feel like you're going from back and forth like a tree being tossed around in the wind. It can be also a time when you're forced to be around people that rub you the wrong way. You know, like Uncle Carl, who keeps on telling those political jokes, you know, or Aunt Betty who won't stop talking about, you know, that story in 1965 and who makes that snide comment. We all have Uncle Carl's. We all have Aunt Betty's that we're a part of in our life. But may we remember during those tough times, in times of trial, within the season of gratitude, may we, all, when we pause during those times where we find our hearts becoming troubled, to think about James, to think about the big picture, the fact that we are here the fact that we are breathing, that life is a gift. I mean, let me tell, tell the person sitting next to you, life is a gift. Life is a gift. This life is a gift. Let that circle into your brains. Let that be the mantra for this season that this is a gift. This is a gift. You know, a couple years ago, Tara and I decided... Uh, to, um, you know, we had, we just, we decided to have four kids in six years. I don't recommend it. Uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a tough time for a while. We didn't sleep for a couple years and it was difficult to have, you know, the stresses of all that together. And there were times where we found it hard to be grateful. I mean, we could look at our beautiful children and we could say, man, they're so cute, but why can't we be more grateful that they're alive? <laughs> you know? Why can't we see, what can we do, you know, to, because to, gratitude is a choice. What can we do to posture ourselves? And so Tara, one day, she took a piece of paper and she wrote the words, this is a gift, and she taped it in front of the kitchen sink. This is a gift. And so it was there on this piece of paper written on our kitchen sink. And every time we'd wash dishes and every time that we'd, we would hear some things, anytime we felt like the, the the calling of cynicism and discouragement, you know, we would look at that paper and it would remind us, man, I'm alive. My heart is beating. The planet is still in motion around the sun. I am still here. This is a gift. This is a gift. And so it became so influential in our own lives that we did it more permanent, and now it is above our fireplace in our house. But maybe 
as a challenge for you during this holiday season, you could write this word somewhere. This is a gift. And I don't know, on the sermon sheet, there's the sermon notes. You can just write it there, tear it, put it in your pocket. And in the moments during this holiday season, holiday season of joy, when you taste Aunt Susan's amazing pecan pie, you may pull that out and say, this is a gift. To God be the glory. Or in times of struggle and stress, when you're around Uncle Joe, who's talking about the political news show that he likes to watch, and who to vote for, in times where you just want to walk out of here, you take that out. This is a gift. Uncle Joe is a gift. <laughs> this is a gift. And finally today, because we are a spiritual community, we can't talk about gifts without talking about the gift of salvation that God has given us, that God has brought life to death because of Jesus. And, uh, you know, it says in Romans that the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life. This is a gift from God. Are we grateful? Are we grateful for this gift? In Ephesians, it says that we are not saved. We are saved by grace through faith, not by our own works, but by what? By the gift of God do you realize how gifted we are as a body? May our posture this season be one of gratitude. Each Sunday, we offer an invitation. Here's the invitation this week. Number one, to view your life as a gift. Number two, to remember and accept that you have been able to receive the gift of eternal life. If you need prayers at all, uh, we offer a time where the elders will be around this room and you can pray with them if you're struggling with something, if you're nervous about seeing Uncle Joe in a couple days, they can pray with you about that or anything that you have. Or if you have any questions about baptism, about salvation, about how to become a disciple and a follower of this gift-giving God, the Father of lights, why don't you come forward? I'll be up front and why don't you come while together we stand and we sing. Bless thee, O Lord, with a heart of thanksgiving.